This is episode 5 of Give Me a Chance and it is your host who's speaking, Vittoria. Hi everyone and welcome to yet another episode of Give Me a Chance. I wanted to wish you all a very Merry Christmas and if you've taken some days off during this period, I really hope you're enjoying them with your family, friends or as much as possible in any case. And before I do the same, I want to leave you with one last episode for this 2020. So let's start with that. Today we will listen to Rimi's story. Rimi got the chance to change his life in his mid-30s when he was confronted with a really serious health scare. But that gave him also the possibility to change his life and see life through a different perspective. But before I say too much, let me introduce you to Rimi so that he can tell a little bit more of his story himself. Hi Rimi, welcome to Give Me a Chance. Where are you calling us from? So I'm speaking to you from the countryside of Kent, which is outside of London. And we are in tier three, which is the highest level of lockdown there is. So no restaurants, no pubs, no shops open. And um, it's pretty much like lockdown. Yeah. And if we go through Christmas like this, it's going to be a really different Christmas from what we know, I guess. Thanks for, for joining me tonight. It's, a, it's a, great, a great pleasure to talk to you. But before we start, it would be fine to, to have a little bit of a background about you. So I, I was born in Paris. My parents then moved to Vienna and then New York. By the time they moved to England, I spoke three languages and had two passports. And I arrived in England looking like a younger version of what I look like now. So not typically English and speaking with an American accent. So I always felt different and I never really felt like I was from anywhere. Um, and I still don't really. So I am a Jewish, American, British gay man living in the UK. That's lots of labels, none of which actually make any uh, difference to me, but that's how I'm seen by the world. Most of my professional life was working as a TV producer, and I produced dozens of TV programs that were shown around the world and started a couple of production companies. And the last few years of my life have been spent as a business advisor and coach mostly to people in the creative industries. If we think about your story, Remy, you are one of a kind from what you said. And, uh, but you even experienced a few times in your life a moment in which you really had to make a change and change your life. Well, first of all, I think I would like to say that we are all one of a kind. You know, um, we are all creative and resourceful beings and we are all unique. So I am not unique in being unique, but I'm, I'm slightly unusual in, the, in my early 30s, I was faced with a life-threatening illness, um, which was so serious that doctors thought I wouldn't live through the night. And in fact, they allowed my dog, an Irish terrier called Sam, to spend the night in my hospital bed with me in a National Health Hospital in London. And so that was kind of their signal to me and my partner at the time that they, the doctors, didn't think I was going to live. So it was quite, quite serious. And I guess very few people are lucky enough to have the experience I had, which is to have that prognosis and then live through it. Because I'm now in my 50s and I'm healthy and vital and well. And I got to have all the rich learning of the experience of being told I wasn't going to live and then time to live with that and, and grow from it. Because for you, it was as if it was uh, two separate lives, your life before your uh, unfortunate uh, health care and your life afterwards so it was like a regeneration but how was your life before your 
diagnosis. I think my life before was like most people's lives are, which is to say, I knew that death was something that was there, but it didn't feel real to me. It didn't feel like something that was urgent. I also knew, like most people, that what matters most in life is not the things that you have or the things that you do. I knew that what was really important in people's lives was love. I knew that I was lucky enough to have found that in my life and to have experienced that. But just like the awareness of death itself, until I faced that moment of the end, I didn't feel it in every part of my body. So I didn't really experience it. Like many people, you know, I lived through my 20s and early 30s trying to prove I was good enough to do things, to make things, to succeed in a public context. And after that prognosis, I discovered that the only way to be was to treat all of that as a game and to be true to what really mattered, which is who I love and who loves me. And that is one of the major uh, points that you should learn indeed if you go through such a moment because what did you do differently after you recovered from from that moment in which your health was not uh, very good? I did quite a few things differently like prioritizing my health because you know I think like life itself most of us don't really prioritize life and health we kind of assume that that's going to be taken care of and that we're okay we define ourselves so much through doing and having, and that's a very Western human experience. You know, it's a, it's a fundamental shift between thinking I am what I do and what I have to thinking I am who I am with other people. Um, but it's not how I measure success for myself or for other people. What is your measure for success now? What I've come to recognize is that if on my deathbed, I have people who I love and people who love me in my life, then that is success. Nothing else matters. So I got to be present to that in a way which has made me live my life much more urgently, not much more quickly or fast, not at all, much more slowly. And I say the things. And afterwards, I was so incredibly glad to be alive that literally, you know, every blade of grass, every little flower opening was a different sensation and existed on a whole different realm of experience. And I can't pretend that I have managed to keep that alive every single moment of every single day. I have lots of lapses where I get sidetracked into worrying about nonsense. But luckily, with the perspective I now have, I can recognize that's nonsense. Stop it. Come back. And just putting it into perspective, I can imagine, you really now know the difference between a, a fickle thing and what really matters. For example, relationships, and that's uh, that's something that I heard you uh, saying a few times. And indeed, I wanted to ask you, what uh, did that period ma um, mean for the relations that you had at the time? For me, it, what it did was remind me how important those relationships are, you know, with with close friends and family and my partner. Because I think before we, I probably took those for granted. Did the same people that stuck at the time to your uh, bed uh, stay along even in the period that came after that? Well, some did, for sure. And um, and some I grew apart from, and it wasn't so much that, that they abandoned me or that I abandoned them, but, you know, I was a much more caustic, 
um, cynical, success-driven person before this experience. And obviously that put me on a vibrational frequency that attracted other people who were like that. And these days I'm much more interested in people who want to explore the world of being rather than the world of doing and having. And actually um, going into this new phase of life for you. So you, you left your past behind and then you, you saw your new life through a different uh, perspective. And um, was, uh, could you actually say that this period, uh, the illness was for you actually a gift and a chance to change your life? My illness was definitely a gift and it was definitely a chance to change my life. And yet, of course, I came out of this experience without people really recognizing what I'd gone through or even me really fully understanding it. So it took some time. And I think I just wanted to tell everyone how short life is and how important it was for them to savor it. But, you know, people weren't necessarily ready because... I hadn't chosen people in my life who wanted a coach. I'd chosen people in my life who were colleagues or employees or friends who wanted a very different person. And, and that, was a, that was a period of tension and adjustment, I think, because certainly at work, um, I was coaching people who didn't want to be coached. And I, by the way, wasn't trained to be a coach either. So I decided that I would get training as a coach, which I did over a period of years, Basically, the fact that you, that you were coaching people brought on your talent and your passion for sharing what you went through. And uh, could you tell us a little bit more about how you, you became a, pro a professional coach? I think my main misunderstanding about coaching was that a coach is there to help and rescue people. And in fact, that is not what a coach does. My coaching these days is primarily focused at people who work in the creative sector. And most of them are entrepreneurs who are quite alone in founding a business and then require support, advice around mindset and, and just how to conquer their, their own demons. Because we all have voices in our heads that say, you can't do it, you won't succeed, it won't work. Why are you even trying? You're no good. What, what are the major techniques that you use? First of all, to recognize that that voice in your head is never going to go away. So that's the bad news. You know, you will always be having that conversation with your saboteur is what we call it in coaching. But there are ways to overcome it. So one technique is to simply invite a client to have a conversation with their future self. That is to say, um, you in 25 or 30 years, which effectively is what... I got to do when I faced death, right? They invariably say things like, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't take yourself so seriously. It's going to be fine. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Do what you love. Connect with people you care about. But another useful technique that listeners may want to try is just to identify the quality within them that they feel like they lack. You know, maybe there's something that you would like to be a little bit more in your life that you're that you're not. And and can you think of somebody in your life, somebody who you know, or, or it could be someone from history or even a fictional character or a, a character in a movie, someone who really embodies that. And then what I ask you to do is once you've identified that person, just invite them onto your team. The good news is you don't need to call them. You know, I have Michelle Obama 
and Nelson Mandela. And when I'm in a place where I want more grace, I channel Michelle Obama. And when I'm in a place where I want more patience, I channel Nelson Mandela. And it's very helpful because I know exactly what they would say. What would you advise to somebody who is struggling with that? Well, I always encourage everyone to list for themselves what success would look like for the next 12 months. So I would say, imagine that it's 12 months from now and you're looking at this list that you wrote today, 12 months ago. What would a list of achievements, accomplishments, conversations, uh, habits be? What most people do is we, we define success in a kind of strange and perverse backwards way by what we didn't do. And I really encourage people to be very granular and specific about what success would look like with them. It's about feeling excited about the list, challenged by the list, a bit stretched, a bit scared by the list, but also a sense of pride if I did achieve that. I encourage people to make five lists. One, yes, for career and fitness, uh, for career and finances. One for health and fitness and growth. One for friends and family. One for intimate relationships and one for home and personal growth. Uh, what is the one thing you would like to achieve next year? Next year, I would like to get to hug my friends and my family because it's been a year of, for me, as for many people, for most people, it's been a year of isolation and lack of physical contact. And, you know, there are many kinds of love language, but physical is definitely one of them. And to simply see people on a screen and not give them a hug is not my idea of love. And it, it comes really back to the point you were making in the beginning. We only really value it when it's taken away from us. And and this is actually a moment for us to re-perspective our lives and see really what really matters. I would say in that respect, COVID is like a gift of death but with a chance of life at the end. The fact that there is a vaccine for coronavirus means that we have had the learning and the growth to see what matters, as you say, the connection, the love, the contact, but also the possibility now of having it returned to us. And hopefully we'll all remember to savor it and enjoy it. Thanks for all your stories and have a good 2021. And Many then... thanks to you. Thank you for having me. You have just listened to Remy's story. Remy was given a really severe diagnosis in his mid-30s, but as you probably heard after his recovery, he got the chance to change his life and see life through a different perspective. He really understood what mattered in life, what he wanted to achieve, and mostly that he could use his experiences to help other people through life coaching, and that is what he does now. It is now time to wrap up this episode. Have you ever had the chance to change your life, or do you know anybody who has? Please get in touch with us or leave a comment here below. And if you liked this episode and enjoyed this podcast, well, do not forget to subscribe to this channel and maybe see you in 2021. Merry Christmas, everyone, and see you next time. Give me a chance on the screen and in your ears. <laughs>